Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Pyle. And I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi, welcome to Melting Pot. Today I'm in conversation with a very, very accomplished gentleman. His name is Matthias Hilner. And Matthias is currently Director of Programs Glasgow School of Arts in Singapore. And he's also a very, very accomplished author. So thank you for joining me today, Matthias, and welcome to Melting Pot. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Matthias, uh, you are originally from Germany. Am I, am I right? That's correct, yes. Okay, great. So... You went for your education to the UK, is, is that correct? I mean, split. So uh, my undergraduate was mainly in Germany and my postgraduate was um, exclusively in, in London, UK. Yeah. Okay. And not just your postgrad, but you are also a PhD. So, I mean, that's, you're so, your focus is mainly design and also typography, which is, and intellectual property, you've done something in relation to that as well. So, I mean, there's a lot for you to share with my listeners, and I don't know where to begin. So I'm just going to leave it to you. Yeah, so I mean, maybe to help you a little bit along the way, um, it, it is a seemingly, uh, well, it is a bit of a melting pot of experiences, right? But it is the, the best way to make sense of it, I've realized, um, is to look at the chronology, because there is a sort of underlying logic that I must admit I didn't always understand a priori when taking certain decisions about, you know, um, new directions that I explored. But everything is actually quite, you know, logically connected. So I went through a journey starting in advertising photography through design, communication design, multimedia design, and, and later other um, aspects of service design and innovation, which got me involved in, in intellectual property. Um, so all these areas of practice are not disconnected. And I, uh, I pursued this journey through an ex sort of in, in parallel exploring design practice, artistic practice, as well as 
design, teaching, and learning, and indeed research. So you have touched on the um, the postgrad and, and PhD experiences. So these research studies, if you like, are strongly interwoven with design practices and um, teaching and learning activities. So these were sort of parallel streams of, of developments. There were, there were a lot of synergy swinging with it, and, and, and that's, you know, crafted this somewhat seemingly complex journey. Yeah, but also very, very interesting and fascinating. So what uh, do you enjoy most about working within design? I know it encompasses a lot as far as you're concerned, but is there any one focus that you have? Well, I think what I what I find most rewarding about the design career in inverted commas um, or the you know, personal development that you experience in conjunction with design is that it never stops and it never stops being interesting. So there are always new areas to be explored, you know, new grounds to be made. And, and this is kind of where I, where whenever I saw an opportunity or, you know, of, of, of new developments on the horizon, I, it's curiosity that drives you um, to explore new areas of practice. Um, emerging uh, methodologies, if you like. So I was the first researcher, I think, if not at least one of the first researchers at the Department for Service Design at the Royal College of Art. So um, once that department came interaction, um, I was there. So I was recruited in the run-up to that. Um, so that was very exciting um, to be, you know, you know, at the you know at the outset of something new that's happening. Um, I also enjoyed a lot working with new companies when I did, you know, brand consultancy, because there was so much that you could influence. Um, th th there was no baggage, no, you know, history that you needed to drag along. And obviously, now that I'm here in Singapore, and there's a lot of alertness towards new um, or in, in emerging areas of um, design and innovation practices. And, and that's a very exciting um, place to be. So I think it was curiosity that always drove me and, and, and that actually, personally, I think you can't afford to stand still in design because the, the, the industry and the environment is constantly reshaping. So it's a fast moving and, world. I'm sorry. And how important, obviously, technology has a very, very important role to play in this. Am I correct? So, so when technology kind of evolves, then, you know, the combination of design with technology, I guess that's what you mean when you have, you know, when you say that there's always change, there's always new things happening. That's right. I mean, it's, but it's not just um, technologies, it's also behaviors. So people, you know, do certain things. So when, when Facebook was incepted, nobody asked for, for that sort of platform. It was just an opportunity of engagement using, you know, existing technologies. The other thing that I've, that I, you, you've touched on my typography background. So when I started become particularly active in that area, you know, multimedia typography, digital typography, multidimensional typography, um, we were actually pressing beyond what was technically feasible. So, you know, the, at the time in the early 2000s, the, 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 the online bandwidths didn't, didn't cater for, you know, um, heavy data load. So, you know, myself and some of the peers that I was sort of working alongside with, 
um, were actually going through very sort of tedious efforts to vectorize motion graphics in order to make them, you know, available on screen. Um, and now you have, you know, high definition data live stream through um, Wi-Fi wi systems. Sometimes you need to um, sort of project a little bit what's coming in order to be ahead of the time and um, be pioneering in certain areas. And, and now it's more about experiences and processes in conjunction with design. Um, how can we cater for, you know, evolving situations? So it's not necessarily tied to technology alone. It's, it's behavior as well. I read somewhere that you, in fact, you, in 2017, you had a solo exhibition in Singapore. And um, I read somewhere that, again, on uh, typography, and you mentioned that, you know, people are, so the written word is now, people are not, I mean, I won't use lazy as, as a term, but people are sort of, because of, you know, the moving, moving world, so rapidly, people read less. So with typography, you, you know, like emojis have happened, and you started to put in images interspersed with words. And I mean, that's my understanding. I have absolutely, I'm an absolute layman. So if you could explain a little bit about that concept that you've mentioned somewhere, I mean, I read it somewhere. So just so that even my, you know, listeners and viewers get an idea of what that really means. So, yeah, I mean, my typography work really evolved out of um, a, an almost ironic statement, a, a commentary, a visual commentary on the what was happening in the in the two, early 2000s in the um, motion graphics scene in London and around because there was a lot of um, special effects driven, you know, graphics um, created and disseminated. And I basically wanted to just exemplify how easy it is to have a very impressive effect on a, on a viewer. I, I created multidimensional typographic forms and, and started exploring what impact it has on the viewer, you know, what, what's so compelling about it. Um, but then I realized through exchanging with, you know, with, with the audiences that this sort of visual the visually puzzling effect is something that is very engaging. It keeps, you know, people at suspense and it, it, it sort of attracts their attention. So we have a natural instinct of making sense of things. So where we see patterns, we try to detect shapes naturally. And, and, and this, this natural instinct within humans can be exploited to say, to, to give them an inkling to say that there is information um, coming your way. If, if, if that's a process of transition, then the, the pacing of the transition can be used in order to engage people over a longer period of time. And it, that means that less words are conveyed, um, but and the, the, the communication slow, uh, process is being slowed down. But that has, a, has an impact on the quality of the, um, the reading experience. So it becomes so a more manner. It's more imagery. Imagery and, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we are naturally more attracted to imagery. And that's also something that's come about um, in the advent of the internet and, and other media devices. Um, the more information we need to acquire or seek to acquire, the, the more likely we are drawn towards images. And so we use an image pattern or an image in order to attract someone's attention and allow for that image to be, um, to evolve into 
text information. And, and, and then that text information is, is perceived and retained by the viewer in a more intensive and effective fashion. So that was the idea behind that. And indeed, uh, what, what happened actually at that time is that the television scene in the UK picked up on that. So a year into my MPhil study, um, it was in 2005 that Channel 5 um, launched a groundbreaking TV campaign, marketing campaign, and, and that led the precedent for a lot of movie, movie title sequences and, and television brand um, assets to follow. So it, a few years down the line, that became a lot more mainstream, but it was all about an image that transforms into um, typographic information. So that was an example where I sensed something coming um, our way, and I managed to um, engage in that process creatively, but also theoretically, and um, guided you know, academic um, colleagues as well as the industry to some extent and towards that um, direction. Yeah, so it's one of the examples where you can actually sound out um, new areas of practice and you can become part of that sort of pioneering group of people who carve new ground. Yeah, so that's what you mean when you say that it's it's ever evolving and there's yeah. always, yeah, there's always new, there has to be a newness to it. Yeah, I mean, change is always exciting. And if you are a part of the initiation of the change, then that makes it even more exciting for you. So our intellectual property with design, because, you know, I mean, I understand with create Design also is creativity, correct? And so, yeah. yeah, so you've written a book, is my understanding, on intellectual property. Could you sort of tell me a little more about that? And how did that book come about? And what aspect of intellectual property are you focused on in that book? So the way this came, um, this is actually about... Um, creative entrepreneurship. And I, I focused on the, the intellectual property aspect of it um, within that context. And the way the interest arose in, in creative entrepreneurship is through my own practice. So when I was engaged in these um, typographic, in, in, in the specialized uh, area of design practice surrounding multimedia typography, I secured some, some business development funding from the National Endowment of um, Science, Technology and the Arts in the UK. And for, in order to achieve that, I had to pitch a business um, towards them. So this was my first encounter with design entrepreneurship, if you like. All right. So um, I could start out my own um, design consultancy based on um, a successful entrepreneurial step. And um, so then I developed my business alongside my teaching and learning practices, uh, as well as my research practices. But what I did also is I, would, I, I continued to, to follow the successes of other um, designer entrepreneurs. And I was strongly affiliated with the Royal College of Art, where I did most of my postgraduate research. And I observed that um, the, the majority of successful um, designers in that sphere were actually building businesses around patents. And I questioned that um, because um, it's, patents are very cost intensive, they're very you know, time consuming and um, not necessarily the, by default the best way to um, um, you know, um, ring fence or, or um, secure your, your, your endeavors. So 
I started to engage with and exchange with incubators, entrepreneurs, and, uh, and also entrepreneur coaches in, in London and around in, in, in the rest of the UK in order to shed some more light into what works and what doesn't and so in, in the context of creative entrepreneurship. And this is how the study came to unfold. And um, so I investigated how different designer entrepreneurs and startup teams would would go about securing IP and connecting that with other, with other significant factors. So fundraising, for instance, and um, you know, establishing their businesses, which requires team building. It requires, you know, research and development, and and and, and sort of also you know marketing to some extent. So all these different um, development aspects need to go hand in hand. So intellectual property is only one facet in the whole equation. And what interested me is you know how does it connect and how does it not connect very well. So the book that I've authored explores you know what works and what doesn't in conjunction with creative entrepreneurship. And it explores different examples and some more successful than others. And it's really important to also and um, touch on the pitfalls and you know some of the the, the things that didn't go, go according to plan. Um, so that was quite interesting. And so the book culminates in a framework that maps out, um, you know, development processes processes in conjunction with design and entrepreneurship, but um, it it addresses all the different development aspects um, in conjunction with creative businesses. So it's it looks at intellectual property within the context, also in the context of time, because businesses develop over time. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you've authored some other books as well. Am I right? I've authored one book prior to that, and that was about a typography in the context of multimedia communication. It talks about, well, but it talks about also the time aspect and, and the perception aspect in conjunction to typography. Um, it explores typography in, in, in the context of visual communication and, and, and fine art practice. So, you know, I'm looking at perception processes and how it affects the viewer's sense of time. Um, when we are engaged or immersed in a perception process. So, yeah, that's more of a philosophical nature in terms of the way it's been discussed there. Interesting. What would you think is has been your, I'm sure, I mean, you've achieved a lot in a span of all these years, but what to your mind would be the single most sense of, achievement that you have had out of all the different projects that you've done or out of all the learnings that you've had where do you think or what do you think has been the most like closest to your heart and something that you feel has been very very fulfilling up until now I'm sure there's going to be a lot more over the years but up until now is there any one thing that sort of stands out for you you're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me Pyle, on this very unique and special podcast series melting pot so i mean one of the things is obviously i'm engaged in um, academic management um, in my current and previous role um, so that has to do with strategy, right? And it has to do with time. So both books, they're very different. But one of the things they're looking at is the time aspect. One, in conjunction with 
the perception of typographic forms that evolve over time. And the other, it's looking at design entrepreneurship and, you know, creative startups as they evolve over time. And so in the academic context, we are also working along the time axis. We are developing um, curricula. We are developing um, academic strategies. And what comes into play here is the, 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 the aspect of people, you know, stakeholders who, you know, so working with others and empowering others to um, achieve things from a team leadership point of view. That's one of the, um, the, the biggest insights for me, having been here in Singapore for six years now. Um, so how to, so to, be, to succeed in entrepreneurship, to succeed in communication, to succeed in, in academic, you know, with academic endeavors, you always need to connect with other people and you need to inspire them with your passion and your vision and, you know, work with them in order to establish development plans and ideas and strategies that you can pursue systematically and in collaboration. So I think that's something that really stands out for me um, at the moment is, you know, how do you empower people? How do you get them on board? And how, how do you engage them in creative processes? Do you think, because, you know, you've had a very large experience in the UK and mm. now you've been in, in Singapore and Southeast Asia, do you think behavior is, a lot of it is dependent on culture and the way of thinking is, you know, is it, is it like different because of the cultural influences or not necessarily? I think that there are, there are things that connect us all. So there, there is an underlying current that drives creative um, practices both in an academic context as well as in a commercial context. This is a very connected world, as we sadly come to realize, you know, through, you know, through yeah. the situation that we have in conjunction with the COVID crisis and so on. But mentalities differ, and um, there. I'm obviously helming here GSA Singapore, a small satellite sum campus um, that, that that evolved from a collaborative. Um, engagement between the Singapore Institute of Technology and the Glasgow School of Art. So there are two um, academic partners that come together to, um, you know, behind this project, GSA Singapore. And um, so I'm reporting to both institutions. And actually, um, you know, just a minute, minutes ago, I was um, liaising with, you know, both institutions um, regards to what's going to happen now, yeah, with the sort of semi-lockdown situation again, yeah. Well, yeah. So that impacts us here, but the, 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 the circumstances differ um, in, both, um, in both countries um, because um, the, the mentality is a little bit different and uh, people behave differently in, in, in response to very comparable um, circumstances. And so that, that, that changes. And also... Beyond the, um, the the current health crisis, if you like, there are different different philosophies behind the development ideas of in either of those, those two institutions. We are looking at one institution, the youngest university in Singapore, next to one of the most established institutions in the UK, over 175 years old. A lot of history, a lot of tradition to swings with 
the practices of um, GSA. Um, whereas here um, in Singapore, um, we are pairing that institution with the youngest um, university in Singapore. So that comes with different development priorities and it, it requires a lot of bridging of you know, different mentalities. And, and philosophies, if you like. So, you know, one, you know, you could argue that in, in, in the UK, you have by, by tendency a more traditional mindset. Um, you know, there's a lot to be protected, a lot, you know, of, of heritage to look after. In Singapore, which is, you know, even a very sort of young nation, if you like, first time I set foot in this country, they were just celebrating their 50th anniversary. So the, the pace at which Singapore has developed sort of historically is much faster. So there is a lot of commitment, a lot more confidence in fast-paced development and a lot less fear of, you know, losing, you know, a certain heritage so it's a much more future-oriented society, I would say. Um, and so some of the things that happen here, and it, it starts with setting up a degree show or taking down a degree show, the pace at which things are working here is a lot more rapid by comparison to you know, certain um, counterparts in the UK. And it's not just GSA, we shouldn't single them out. It's, you know, things can happen at a much more rapid pace here in Singapore than they can do in other parts of the world. Um, and, and so that's, that's interesting to observe and that changes the, the, the range of possibilities that we have. There is no right or wrong, I don't think, but and it's, it's an interesting observation to make as how individuals and organizations are oriented and how they, how they also behave. Because behavior is not just down to the individual, it's also down to the collective. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, you have two perspectives, essentially. Yes. And yeah, yeah. I try to liaise between, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. also, um, I'm, I'm trying to connect between individuals and also um, between um, organizations. And, and as I said earlier, different stakeholders. It's a very interesting task, not always an easy task, but it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how we can make you know, the circumstances change, perspectives change, and they change in different ways in different places. But yet we want to come together and work together. And to facilitate that process is not always easy, but it's very exciting. I can imagine. Challenging, but exciting. A combination yes. of both. So are you writing another book? <laughs> not at the moment. Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still dwelling on, on the last more about actually I mean a book is not again we have to be that's an interesting example actually a book is a piece of history and um, for me what's more important is what difference it can make so what I'm currently engaged in is a lot of conversations surrounding that book I've just you know delivered a workshop in conjunction with some of the insights flawed in the book and so I'm my research and my theory is very much embedded in practical and considerations and so I'm, I'm currently looking at how to make use of that knowledge in a practical sense so I'm talking to um, I'm talking to entrepreneurs and innovators I'm talking to um, organizations in Singapore who embrace and and, and promote innovation um, and also academic institutions um, to um, 
to encourage new mindsets and a new opportunity and, and, and to, for them to embrace new opportunities and to help them along the way, so to speak. So I'm trying to put that newly developed knowledge to good use. I'm working with a partner on a platform that, that, that helps innovators and designers at a wider scale to, um, to, to make use of that knowledge so that it can be shared across a wider range of people and startup companies and academic institutions. So it's, it's really about creating value and sharing that value and bringing and putting it to good use. And then then moving on. Yeah, <laughs> no, it makes it's sense. Nice. I mean, yeah, because it's not like it's fiction writing where, you know, you've, you've kind of yeah. Yeah. Um, put your thoughts, you've written a book, you move on. This is more on how all the effort and research that has gone into actually putting everything together and then how to disseminate that information to more people and how to reach out to more people is a, is a part of the process. So it's not like you've just written the book and forgotten about it. So yeah, no, it may and how, how you're able to, you know, your knowledge, you're able to share and help the others with is the process. So yeah, no, that's, that's that I completely understand where you're coming from with that. So before I let you go, just a piece of advice that you would like to give young designers in terms of design and communications, you know, who are, I mean, you've got a whole bunch of young designers who are at the university at the moment, right, whom you are mentoring and taking to to the next level. So any advice for people out there who are listening to uh, Melting Pot who or who will be watching Melting Pot, any advice that you would have for them? Yeah, so one is um, time never stands still. Everything's changing and at, at varying um, speeds, if you like. So one of the things that I've really learned, and, and that's another thing that, you know, back to your earlier question that I really learned here in Singapore is understanding processes and not thinking so much in consecutive fixed situations, um, but understanding how things change. Change comes in terms of varying direct directions and also in terms of change in pace. And understanding that really allows you to, to become part of a process and to potentially even drive that process to be, you know, on top of it in inverted commas. Um, so that's one of the things. And the other advice I would say is in very general terms, and I explain that in better detail, is connecting the dots. So when you look, when you look at my typography work, it's about, you know, different fragments of information or abstract um, information coming together. So that's patterns evolve gradually over time into text information. So this process of connecting the dots is something that we do naturally, but it is also that something that we should do generally speaking in conjunction with everything that we do. So um, when it comes to you know, problem solving, we want to connect the dots. And that's where it comes to design entrepreneurship. And um, we need to look at the surrounding circumstances, understanding you know, all the issues that we are confronted with, understanding how they connect with and impact one another, right? And then thinking about, you know, who is affected by it, understanding the different stakeholders and people that are part of this equation, part of the scenario, and see how they connect um, with the situation 
and see how we can improve that situation for the benefit of all the stakeholders involved. So this is what I mean by connecting the dots. When it comes to an individual business, you've got different things that need developing your, your value proposition, you know, your finances, your, you know, your resources, your route to market, your intellectual property, and how these things come to get, come together in a, you know, in an effective manner so that they don't cancel each other out or get in each other's way, how they can be managed over time and in harmony. Um, that's a matter of connecting the dots. So understanding change, how things change over time, looking at all the moving parts and assessing them within context in the most general sense of the word, I think that would be my advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matthias. I mean, it's just been wonderful listening to you and and I'm sure you have a lot more ahead of you and your guidance you know and your knowledge and all of that is is really also going to help a lot of people in the long run so thank you very much Matthias thank you for being on Melting Pot and chatting with me my pleasure thanks for having me thank you thank you thank you For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.